0: So Money, Episode 326, Liz Weston. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds,
1: authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place.
0: Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So, Money is brought to you today by Wix.com. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 70 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business? It all starts with a stunning website. With hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates to choose from, the drag-and-drop editor, and even video backgrounds, there's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. The site empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy to build a website website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your own website today. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome back to So Money 2016. Can you believe it? This podcast is almost a year old. And for those of you who've been with us since the very beginning, you're almost another year older. (laughs) And I couldn't be happier, more proud, more honored to have you join us. And for those of you listening for the first time, I hope this show does not disappoint. Today's guest definitely will not disappoint. I've brought on as our first guest for the new year, someone, whom I've admired for many years as a financial journalist. She is probably one of the most recognizable names when it comes to personal finance, and her name is Liz Weston. She is an award-winning, nationally syndicated personal finance columnist. She's the author of several books, including the bestseller, Your Credit Score. Liz Weston is also a contributing editor for Bankrate and writes on the topics of education and money for Reuters. She also has a Q&A column called 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 Money Talk that appears in newspapers all across the country, including the LA Times, San Diego Tribune, among others. And she also commentates on public radio. With Liz, we often hear about how she suggests others manage their money or the interviews that she does with people all over the world, all over the country about personal finance. But in this next half hour, we're going to learn more about Liz's personal finances and how her decisions have impacted her life, her habits, her failures, how money works in her own relationship, what she hopes to teach her daughter about money, and that plot of land, retirement land, that she bought in Alaska when she was 26. Financial regrets? mm, She's had a few. Here is Liz Weston. Liz Weston, I bow to you. Welcome to So Money, (laughs) my first guest of the new year. Couldn't think of a a more qualified person to get us off on the right start in 2016?
1: Oh, I'm so flattered, partners. Thanks for asking me.
0: I, I'm honest, Liz. I mean, I uh, am your peer, but I am so also in awe of your work, your talent. For listeners, you know, Liz Weston, probably one of the most popular bylines in the personal finance space, one of the most uh, really, I, can I say famous? <laughs> yeah, I mean, really recognizable Experts in the field of personal finance. You've been in this space for over 20 years. You've been writing for the LA Times, San Diego Union Tribune, I remember MSN, um, public radio, everywhere. Your book, your credit score is now in its fifth edition. Not many personal (laughs) finance books get to the second edition. Yours went, (laughs) you have a fifth edition book. Liz, what makes you so fascinated by personal finance year year in and year out? Because, like, we well, you know, this can be a very cyclical industry. It is. I mean, it's like the same thing over and over again. You got, it's not like it's rocket science either, but you, I love it. You love it. Tell me why you love it.
1: Well, I had an editor when I first started doing this tell me that there were basically only 14 personal finance stories. And I'm sure if we went through, we could probably identify <laughs> all of them. And you're just trying to make it new and fresh. And sometimes there's, you know, a Congress passes a law or does something stupid or, you know, a trend emerges, something like that. But the reality is, even though this isn't rocket science, a lot of people don't know it and you can make a definite impact on their life. I mean, you probably do this as well. The saving that the emails that tell you, mm-hmm. oh, you made such a difference. You know, you, you either um, helped me get more out of Social Security. I helped a widow do that recently. Or, you know, you got me on track with my finances and I would paid off all this debt. I finally started investing in my 401k. And I'm so glad I did it. All those things. Um, and and the best one I ever got was I was doing the money show in Las Vegas. And this guy walked up to me and he said, could you not, you saved my marriage. And I'm, oh, my God. And he said, my wife and I want to take you out to dinner because we were contemplating a divorce and you just kind of walk through how to talk to each other. And one of the things I always say is that, you know, It's not right and wrong. And the person who knows the most about money isn't necessarily right. You know, because in our marriage, that was me. I just thought, well, I know all this. So this is the way we should do it. That's not the way you have a marriage. You know, you've got to have that give and take. You've got to take the other person's point of view into consideration. Well, that was, you know, news to him. And they actually started talking and they got along better and that divorce was off the table. So that to me was the most thrilling encounter I've ever had.
0: Did you go to dinner?
1: I haven't yet. No, well, okay, rain check. <laughs> exactly.
0: No, I. I um, funny enough, the same thing happened to me a, a, last year. I was at a book signing. I was at Simmons College. I gave a talk. And then afterwards, they have you sit there with your book. People can choose to buy your book or not choose to buy it. And then you sign the book. I was seated next to the author of The Confidence Code, which is like the best-selling book right now. I mean, it's like women w- were buying like five copies of this book. Her line for signing the book was like, out the door and I'm sitting there no one's coming up no oh. one no one because I guess you know when she makes more it's not a book you want to be like it's it's a you know it's a very revealing t- <laughs> cover <laughs> but the one thing I almost was in tears actually because I was like I'm such a loser and then this woman came up to me and was like you your book saved my marriage oh. and I was like that. Means more to me than a million people coming here to have me sign the book. Thank you for saying that, and I really needed to hear that right now because I'm looking over, and the woman who wrote the Confidence Code, she's looking at me. She's like, "I loved your book. I really did. I, I, I you know." And she, was just, I'm like, "It's okay. It's cool. I got my phone. I'm just checking email. Like I, you know. I mean, people were buying books here and there, but I agree with you. It's that. It's those moments." And it, it's the emails. Thank you to everybody who writes emails or posts on Facebook. You make us re- – you remind us why it's important work that we do. in your own life, Liz, how has your work impacted you? One example of how your knowledge base or you're reporting on a story and you learn something that was pivotal for you in your life in a good way.
1: Oh, that's – I mean that happens all the time. Um I was just thinking of, even before I started writing about personal finance, uh, I was in my 20s, and I was you know, I was interested in it, kind of reading about it, and I think I might have had a banking assignment or something at that point, but it convinced me to start funding my 401k, and I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know what the investments were, and uh, there was a little bit of a market crash right after I started investing, and I thought my company had done something to me, and you know, I thought it was my <laughs> company's fault that I'd lost money. <laughs> So going forward, the fact that I started my 401k in my 20s means I have so many options now. I mean, if there's one thing that we can get people in their 20s to do, it's just, you know, put that money in the 401k. You won't believe the freedom that you have later, the freedom to take a sabbatical, to take some time off, to have kids, to retire early. If you get started in your 20s, there's no better time to do it. And that was absolutely true with me. I mean, now I have all these options because I did it then, you know, before the expenses were out of control, before I had a kid, before I got married, had a mortgage, started saving and I just continued that habit.
0: That is a misperception, right? That uh, suddenly, I'll make more money, I'll be able to save more. You know, once I get to a point where I'm making more money, it'll be easier. Everything will
1: fall into place. Not the case... (laughs) it's never easier I mean that's the thing it doesn't get any easier and if you start like with your first job if you possibly can you will never miss that money it just goes in that fund and you don't think about it and over the years it gets amazing growth and you've seen all the charts as I have the compound interest and compound returns it's like the money that you put into your 401k in your 20s is twice as valuable as the stuff you put in in your 30s so even if it's a strain you got to do it it's really important
0: yeah, just do it. You won't actually. It's not going to be that painful, as it turns out. Yeah. I, I can speak personally about that. Your book, the bestseller, your credit score in its fifth edition. It's January 2016. It's a timely moment now to really be taking inventory of your credit, right? Because interest rates are only going to go higher this year.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, we've had this extraordinary period of low interest rates. It's just been amazing, and you know, it can't go on forever. So it's a good time to look around and make sure that you're getting the best deals and kind of burnish that score a bit because the people who have, say, FICO's over 750, the FICO is on the 300-850 scale. When you get it up to that sweet spot, you are getting the best rate in terms, hands down. And even if you never borrow money, you can get these amazing rewards cards. And you know, we've been to Europe, we're going to Japan, we have all these wonderful trips and bennies Without paying a dime of interest, it's just awesome. And if you don't want to do the rewards card thing, you can do the cash back. But the point is, is when you have those awesome scores, you have an incredible amount of uh, options, of choice, and the lenders are falling all over themselves to (laughs) give you those options. It's a really good place to be.
0: When we met at FinCon, I think you were telling me that you were headed to Japan, right? Yes, I'm taking three
1: 13-year-old girls.
0: you, You haven't gone yet or you are going?
1: No, we're going in March. So wish me luck.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yes. Okay. <laughs> we'll have to get you on the other side of that and see how that goes. My brother actually just got <laughs> back from Japan with two or three of his friends, and they they, had, they went to Kyoto, and it was a blast.
1: Oh, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. All right. So, Liz, tell me what's your money mantra. Do you have one? It's
1: balance. I mean, it's, it's just one word, but it's something that I had to learn the hard way because I default to saving overspending which sounds like a good problem to have, but it actually can be painful for me to spend money. And I might put it off when it would make a lot more sense to do it. So one of the great things about marrying my husband is he's more of a live for today person. I mean, he understands the importance of saving for the future, but we balance each other. So, you know, he often says that if it were up to him, we'd have no retirement fund. If it were up to me, we'd have no furniture. So it's, it's a way of living life now, <laughs> while still saving for the future. And it's it's a way to make sure you're living your life, not putting off everything, but making sure that you're also accounting for your future self. You know, so the 65-year-old you is not cursing the 25-year-old you for not making smart choices.
0: Would you agree you- that who we are financially as adults stems a little bit from childhood? I mean, it's I talk to guests all the time and they say, you know, I've always liked to save or I've always been a spender. You... Just told me that you, you know, spending sometimes makes you uncomfortable. It's hard to do. As a kid, who was Liz Weston financially? How was she financially minded?
1: Well, I had a mom that was uh, very, both very frugal and pretty smart about finances. And one of my childhood memories is when she would get, um, we were a middle class family, but but we we had stock investments. Some of them were given to my parents by uh, my father's mother. And Every quarter, the dividend checks would come in. And that was an excuse to go out. It was like that was the money that was used for kind of fun spending. So I got the message that, hey, investing can be fun. I didn't really know what it was. But I knew that there was sort of a special day when that check arrived in the mail, which is pretty cool. You know, it's it's kind of a nice, a nice uh, association to have. And you know, my mom was not into designer clothes. She was not into, um, you know, displays or trying to keep up with the Joneses at all. And her very down-to-earth, uh, depression-era sort of background gave me that idea that, you know, it's okay to, to not blow your money. You know, it's okay to think carefully about where you want to spend. So I think those things were a combination of, of influences on how I turned out
0: what are your financial priorities right now? You've got kids, you're married, you're at a stage now in your career, we you have a lot of seniority. So where do you, where do you find that balance for you? And, and how, what are your priorities? How are you managing it all?
1: It's interesting when you have a kid, we have one daughter. Um, and, you know, I think about what I want her to experience while she's still with us. You know, we only have her a few more years and then she's off into the world. So, you know, one of my priorities is simply being here for her. And I'm lucky enough, I can work at home. You know, I'm the mom that can uh, peel off and chaperone or whatever, although we don't do too many field trips anymore. Um, but just to be there. And, and, you know, one of the things I love the most is when uh, she, and a, a, a her, she and a friend are in the back seat of the car and they're just talking and they forget that you're there. It's just great. You get all the skinny. Mm -hmm. Um, But just that luxury of being able to spend time with her. And then the travel is another big thing. Um, Travel's always been important. I've really loved it. We did a sabbatical last year where we spent nine weeks in Europe, which was absolutely amazing. And I want her to have those associations, too, that, you know, that travel is fun, that travel introduces you to all these new things. So those have been the priorities right now. We actually, um, you know, I talked about having all these options and we're at the point that if we wanted to retire, we could, which is just amazing to me. But the reality is I love to travel. I want to do more of it. And the way I like to travel these days is no longer staying in hostels and running around with a backpack. <laughs> you know, I want a little luxury. So and, and also I love what I do. So and my husband loves what he does. So it's nice to be deliberate about this that yes, we're going to continue to work both because we love it and also because we love this money to travel. And you work remotely? I do, yes. I'm I, Right now I'm sitting in our bedroom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How glamorous. Bed. And yes. <laughs> were you ever, wh- at what point did you go freelance?
1: Oh, uh, 2002. I was Early. Working. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In in internet years, I'm like 110. Um, I was working at the Los Angeles Times. I had my dream job. I was working for, you know, one of the best newspapers in the country. I couldn't imagine ever leaving. And then um, uh, uh, Richard Jenkins, who was the editor then at MSN Money, approached me with one of those offers I just couldn't refuse. And it was right after 9-11. So all of us were sort of thinking about you know, what do we want our lives to be? It was a time of of real searching. And I realized, you know, what I really wanted to do was to work at home full time, um, which wasn't an option at the LA Times then. And I wanted to have a child. And I knew that working for a daily newspaper and having a kid is tough. There's just no way around it. So when MSN came with this offer, I was like, okay, I'm going to take this leap. And it was unbelievably frightening to leave what I thought of as a really secure job. And all my colleagues at work say, oh, do you really want to do this? It's so risky. You know, we had no idea how fast the newspaper world was going to fall apart. And, you know, that ride on MSN lasted uh, 11 years. So it was a pretty good run. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I have to say 2002, not the year everybody was Going to be freelance. I remember working. (laughs) I was at Money Magazine or I was just about uh, around that time I was at Money Magazine. It wasn't exactly 2002, but I remember one or two colleagues going to freelance. And I was like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. What's a freelancer? Seriously, you're going to be poor.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I never in a million years thought of myself as an entrepreneur um, or being self-employed. I mean, that just wasn't in my my lexicon at all. But um, that's the way MSN wanted to do it. They wanted to have me as a contractor and they made it financially viable to do it. So I became sort of this reluctant small business owner and it turned out to be a pretty good deal.
0: How did you secure things like insurance and 401k, like retirement? How did you reassemble those things?
1: Well, actually, if you are a contractor, self-employed, you have far more options for retirement than if you just have a 401k. And at one point I actually had a good old fashioned uh, defined benefit pension because wow. that you just stuff money into a retirement fund, which was great. But it's really expensive at the same time. So I wound up kind of dialing back to a, um, a profit sharing plan, which was just fine. But, you know, it, it took a while. It took a lot of crunching numbers to figure out. How much money I'd need to make to cover everything I was giving up as an employee, because, you know, it's not just health insurance. It's, you know, uh, life insurance, disability, all those other great benefits, plus the fact that you have to deal with retirement. It worked out really well for me. Um, it's not a great choice for everyone, but it's something that, you know, I'm really glad I did. I'm really glad I had that experience. and. And the other thing that was shocking was how much money it costs to set up a corporation. Holy cow. All the people you have to hire, all the permits yeah. you have to get. I mean, it was like truly stunning. And I actually didn't properly uh, account for that. And the other thing I forgot was that I wasn't going to get paid for three months. So for the first time in our life, we lived on credit cards. Uh, and Why I weren't you
0: going to get paid for three months?
1: It was my last check at the LA Times, I think, landed like in May. And then, you know, I would build the, the MSN, but it would take 60 days from the day I billed them for them to pay mm-hmm. me. So that's three months without income. Now, my husband was working, so it was fine. Actually, no, he wasn't working for one of those months. I think he was, he was in animation at that point, and he was between gigs. So it was like I had never not paid in full a credit card bill. And for those couple months, we just, you know, actually paid. Paid interest on a credit card, which I never want to do again, (laughs) but it worked out pretty well.
0: That's the one thing, too, about freelancing that is can be unnerving. You know, you do your best to invoice. You just hope that the other end of the the deal (laughs) remembers to send you the check. And I do that still sometimes. I'm emailing my uh, accounts and being like, "Um, so how about that invoice? (laughs) Is it processed? Is it getting processed? Where are we in this? Can I do my taxes yet? Um, can I count on you? So that's uh, that, that. That I don't enjoy, but um, it pros and cons. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. So.
0: What's the, your greatest financial? Can I say failure? Have
1: you ever <laughs> had one? <laughs> oh, uh, I have many to choose from. Um, one of them was buying retirement property in my twenties. What, what the hell in- was I thinking? And not only buying. Re- Retirement property. So, buying like going a- to Florida and buying a condo? How well, we're that- not Florida, Alaska. Who retires I- in Alaska? Exactly. Well, <laughs> I was living there at the time and I just assumed I always would. And I assumed that buying 14 acres in a remote area of, of acreage or remote area of Alaska, the nearest road was oh. 80 miles away. I mean, talk, this is no. just the pinnacle of
0: financial How decision. Did they pitch? What was the marketing? That must have been some compelling sales copy.
1: Oh, no, no, no. I talked myself into this. This was land I actually bought from the state of Alaska. Uh, My boyfriend at the time had a cabin out there. He was a pilot. I was getting my pilot's license. I just thought, this will be great. I mean, just thought, am I going to want to fly in retirement? (laughs) Am I going to want to try to fly when I'm 80? I mean, none of this occurred to me. I just assumed that the person I was at 26 was the person I was going to be at 76, which is just insane. Now, the best part of the story is I still own this land because it would actually cost me more to give it away than it's worth. I'd have to fly out an appraiser to give it a value before I could write it off on my taxes. So I wind up paying, I think, a hundred bucks a year in property taxes and thinking, this is just insane. Someday I'll give it away. But right now it makes a pretty good story. And you still own it or no? Ah, yeah, I still do. Okay. Still maybe hundred-
0: it's maybe it's on a plot of oil or something. You know? it's <laughs> a, It is Alaska after all.
1: It is Alaska but Alaska the state of Alaska retains the mineral rights so I can't wow. even use that as a what if you know All right
0: <laughs> Well Hey I'm this maybe someone listening to the podcast will be very interested in this piece of property so everyone <laughs> get in touch with Liz if you're if you're looking at this as a potential opportunity for you yep. Okay let's flip it successful Moment, your so money moment, a time when you just really felt that all of your efforts and strategy paid off, and it was a big win. What happened?
1: Oh man, there, there have been a lot of those. I, I think most recently it was that realization that we could retire if we wanted to. I mean, the freedom in that was amazing. And even earlier, um, if I go back to when I was still in Alaska, I was working for a newspaper that shut down, and you know, at that point I wasn't covering personal finance; I was uh, covering politics. And everybody around me was panicking. I mean, people had mortgages to pay. They had uh, alimony to pay, this being a newsroom. Um, There was a lot of stuff that, you know, a lot of obligations they had and not a lot of jobs. And so people were just, you know, freaking out. I went home and I looked at what I had saved and I realized that I could go for six months just the way I was just on my emergency fund. I wouldn't have to tap my retirement. If I made a few cutbacks, I could last for a year. And all that anxiety, all the burdens that were on my back just fell off. And I really understood how important that emergency fund was. It was something my mom had always drilled into me. It's something I did automatically, but I really got that, wow, I can take my time. I can evaluate job offers and look around for a while and find the right one. I don't just have to grab the first thing that comes along. What a great feeling that was. Uh,
0: So I relate to that too. I got laid off in 2009. And the only thing, honestly, Liz, that kept me from going back to (laughs) journalismjobs.com, which is where everybody looked for journalism jobs, was that I had a a cushion. And I could take – I had a fun employment period basically of – searching soul searching exploring taking some risks trying new things and not feeling the stress and the immediacy to go back to that nine to five with the benefits and the whole shebang so um, yeah high five
1: yes and look what you've done in those six years I mean that's that's really the payoff when you have the time to reflect and think and try new things That's just such a gift to yourself. It's it's something that's really worth the the little stress and strain it might be to save that money.
0: Well, because when you can act with clarity and focus and fearlessness, you can do anything. And for me, knowing that I had that money in the bank uh, gave me the license to feel those things. And Mm -hmm. maybe hopefully we can feel those things all the time regardless. But for me, seeing that Cash in the bank was, for me, the ticket to say, OK, I've earned it. I can do this. I, if, if if it doesn't work out, it's OK, because I can still eat and pay my mortgage.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Uh, so what's your number one money habit, Liz? I'm very curious, especially from somebody who is exposed to a lot of good behavior, good examples as a reporter, researcher, writer. You know what it takes to do. The, you know what the right things are. What do you do personally that helps you with your money and it's conscious?
1: Oh, not automatic.
0: <laughs> well, hey, if it's I automate my bills, that's that's a habit of sorts. It's a decision that you made even though you're not making it every day.
1: Yeah. it's and To me, it's amazing the power of setting everything up on automatic. Um, you know, the the contributions to retirement fund. Payments to charity, you know, our donation donations to charity, setting that up on automatic. So you're not making a rush at the end of the year, Um, saving money for various different things like the insurance and um, property taxes and, you know, holidays, vacation, all those are set up in different sub accounts. Uh, And then, of course, paying the bills. It's all running on automatic. So it doesn't take up any of my mind space. I can focus on the things I really want to focus on because I know this machine is just going on in the background. So when it's time to pay the property taxes, I'm not scrambling money's there when it's time to buy presents, it's there when it's time to go on vacation, it's there. And it's just that sense of freedom that I really don't have to think about it. The other, the other really important thing to me is finally, finally giving up the idea that I can beat the market. (laughs) Just putting all my investments in very low cost ETFs and index funds and letting them roll. Um, is another way that to me is, is the best way to handle your finances, the best way to handle your investments. I've been studying and, and looking at my peers and, uh, reading about investing for a long, long time. And there's just no evidence that you can beat the market. I mean, that's why Warren Buffett is so famous, is he's consistently done so. Very few other investors manage that. And I would rather just, you know, get the market returns. And pay Wall Street as little as possible for the privilege so that I get to keep that money. And to me, that was one of the best things to learn throughout this period of, of writing and reading about personal finances. You know, give it up. <laughs> Just do it the passive way. It's, it's really the best way. And speaking of Warren Buffett, that's what he said as well. He said the typical investor is so much better off in an index fund than they are trying to beat the market.
0: And even though he has said that for years and decades, I feel as though this concept is uh, is getting a second win. Now we're hearing this more and more. I hear it from people like Jim Cramer and you and Average Investors (laughs) and Certified Financial Advisors that, you know what? Uh, Maybe we should just be doing index funds. And it's uh, that era of stock picking and trying to beat the market. Uh, Perhaps we always knew we couldn't do it, but it was still very exciting and we tried to do it. Now we're just... It's not even like we've given up. I feel like we've just come to our senses
1: yeah I think that's really the point of this and another thing that's going on that's really interesting is the Robo advisors the the sites that do investing by um, algorithms and, and computers they're showing us how cheaply we can do this I mean when you're paying like a third of a percentage point or half of a percentage point instead of two or three percent you are keeping so much more of your money. And financial advisors are seeing this on the horizon. Some of them are saying, you know, it's not going to affect me. Well, baloney, this is going to compress the prices. This is going to compress what they can charge. And I think the ultimate beneficiary is going to be the investor. Uh, Might be tumultuous for a while, but it's, it's really, really a good thing. And it's one of those things that... You know, we probably could have done five, six, seven, eight years ago, but it's now just kind of coming around to the point where you go, you know, this is this is a really good option. And the mainstream um, broker discount brokerages are offering this as an option. Now, you don't just have to go to a startup, although the startups that are, have survived are, are pretty wonderful. So you have all these options that to just turn it over, you know, let the computers do what they do best and let them invest for you.
0: So then where do certified financial professionals fit into this because i work with one but now i'm wondering maybe i should just go with the robo advisory route i can you can you can you let's talk about this a little bit because i don't want to give up working with my cfp i love her yeah um but the fees are higher than if i were to go with you know with a another online service so what do you see are some of the advantages to working with real people
1: well, I mean there are a lot. I'm not going to I'm not going to uh, say otherwise. Um, I was sitting at a financial planners conference and they were t- talking about this whole robo advisor thing. And we had one of those guys saying, "Oh, people will always want the personal touch." I went out to dinner with a couple of women that were sitting there and they both said, "You know what? We've been paying 1% To our financial advisor for years. And the last time we got true financial planning advice was several years ago. You know, so they're playing this ongoing legacy cost and not getting the real benefit of a financial planner, which is, you know, a good financial planner looks at your whole financial situation, looks at your budget, your credit. Uh, whether, you know, what kinds of insurance you need, whether you need to boost your liability insurance, looks at your tax situation. Can they save money there? Make sure that you have an estate plan, hooks you up with a good estate planning attorney. Um, you know, just every aspect of your financial life, they can give you advice on. And the way that this industry has worked is, you know, with a good financial planner, you got a financial plan set up, and then they would take over investing your money. And you kind of pay for the plan, over time by paying that one percent. Um, you know, there there are experts like Bob Veris who writes the inside information for the financial industry, basically saying, look, we've been giving away our value for free. You know, we're charging for asset management, which is a commodity. But what really adds value is the financial planning. So I don't really know, you know, what it's going to mean for the industry going forward. I just know as an individual that I want the best for my money and I don't want to pay for something that I'm not getting. So, you know, if you are a brand new investor, if you're nervous about investing, if you need some education, I think a a good CFP, and I would say CFP, make sure they've got those letters, um, is a good way to do it. If you need ongoing help, or you need someone to bounce ideas off of, you know, if you're running a business, you should have a tax pro at the very least, and probably a financial planner to help, you know, set up retirement funds and things like that. Um, but if you've got, you know, the, the basic things in place and you're you're pretty confident, maybe you can look at a robo-advisor or look at some sort of hybrid because they're out there too. Uh, Vanguard, if you have enough money, if you invest, I think, $500,000, no, I think $100,000 with them, you get basically the robo-advisor, but you have access to a financial planner if you have questions. If you invest more than $500,000, you get your own financial planner, you know, somebody that you can call that you get to know to ask questions of. And that service is I want to say 35 basis points, 30 basis points. Wow. 30 basis okay. points. Yeah. I mean it's it's unbelievably cheap. So But then you, they might
0: be selling you Vanguard products the whole time.
1: Well, what's wrong with that? No. <laughs> <laughs> It's cheaper than a Vanguard fund. My God. I mean, that's what the the robo-advisors are using to do their investments is Vanguard ETFs. So Mm -hmm. it's like, why not go to the source? Mm -hmm. I I would have that concern probably if I were going to, you know, wire service. I mean, uh, of you know, one of the the Merrill Lynch or whatever, the the big guys, um, that I might get steered into just their funds. But, you know, if you're talking about a discount brokerage, I I I think it's hard to go wrong there. I mean, I might be wrong, but it seems like if you're doing investing on it, on the cheap, on as cheap as you can get it, and still having access to financial advice, that to me is the sweet spot. So I hope I didn't wreck your relationship with your planner.
0: <laughs> <laughs> mm, to be determined.
1: Yeah. I it's mean,
0: definitely someone- a thought that I've been having. I just want to, like you said, you want to make the most of your money. And, um, it's just very compelling what's out there as far as these robo advisors and what their what their returns are and the costs, especially the cost, the fee structure is very compelling.
1: Yeah, and I think that you know once you know once you have a basic financial planning background as you do, not basic, I mean you have an advanced financial planning background, um, it's less compelling to, to uh, you know you may not need as much advice, but the other, on the other side of that, your financial situation can get more and more complicated. Mm-hmm. So you want that team of advisors to, you know, cause nobody can know anything. That's, that's the one thing is when I, when I went through the CFP course, I thought that a reasonably intelligent woman could handle all of her finances. By the time I came out, I had an insurance agent. I had a tax pro. I shortly got an estate planner, all these people, cause I realized how much I didn't know. And I like the idea of having those advisors that you can turn to who are fiduciaries who are going to put you first to ask these questions. So it's, it is a contradiction. I like having that team, but I kind of want to pay as I go rather than, you know, pay in terms of the assets under management. That's just my personal approach to this.
0: Yeah. That's a, That's well said. Uh, Okay, Liz, let's do some so money. Fill in the blanks. (laughs) (laughs) Lightning round. Yes. Uh, Some are new questions. Actually, my uh, listeners have been weighing in on New Year content, and they would love to hear some new things as well. But let's start with an oldie, but a goodie. If I won a million bucks tomorrow, the first thing I would do is?
1: Oh, you're talking about me. I'm not advised.
0: Oh, yeah, what okay. would you do? The first thing I would do, you, Liz, I would do
1: this. I would call my financial planner. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of. I really would. Fair I'd, enough. I'd sit around Skype like, like we're doing now. i say, okay, what's, what's the plan here?
0: If I lost all my money, the first thing I would do to rebuild my financial life is?
1: Oh, that's a good one. I, my instinct is to move in with my father-in-law. He's a beautiful house.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Save on rent. That's what I would do. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Good answer. One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better
1: is? Oh, oh, housekeeping. Oh, yeah.
0: You know what? It's like it's without fail, guests tell me this. So there's a lot of demand. If you ever want to be a housekeeper, it seems like it's a fertile marketplace. <laughs>
1: Oh, and ours is amazing. We've yeah. had her for years. I just love her. I'd have her in every day if I could afford it. Or Likewise. no, I, d- I never want to say if I could afford it because, you know, it's like always a choice. If I chose to, I could have her in you every day. figure it just, out. Yeah, exactly. Just wouldn't be able to travel.
0: <laughs> if I, when I splurge, sorry, when I splurge, like we're talking like extravagance, the one thing that I splurge on that I wouldn't do without is?
1: Oh, uh, travel. Yes. Definitely travel.
0: Growing up, the one thing I wish I learned about money is?
1: Ooh, um, that debt can be okay.
0: Yeah. 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 It it helped you during that transition.
1: It really did. You know, my mother was absolutely anti-debt. It was a four-letter word. And I actually had the opportunity to transfer to Stanford and wound up turning it down because it would have been uh, loans instead of the scholarships I was given. So that's my, you know, I've I've learned in the long term it worked out fine, but that's a regret. You know, sometimes Mm. investing in yourself requires taking on some debt. You think
0: going to Stanford would have helped you more? I mean, you're very successful.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, it worked out, but there was also a little piece that like, oh, I could have gone to Stanford. (laughs) Yeah. It is beautiful. It It is. It's It's amazing. Gorgeous.
0: Your number one role model, mentor, or influencer in your life right now is? Oh, right now.
1: Oh, that's great. Um...
0: Could could be someone you don't even, you haven't met. Sometimes you have virtual influencers and mentors. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) You know, actually, it's my friend, Kathy, Kathy Kristoff.
0: Oh, I love Kathy Kristoff. Let's get her on the show.
1: Oh, do. I mean, she's awesome. She's absolutely. And she can fit into her high school jeans. I mean, she's
0: amazing. <laughs> so for many reasons, we love slash hate Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> um, great. When I donate, I like to give to blank because?
1: Oh, that's a great question. And I like to give to charities that help children um, because I think that's obvious. You know, it's the kids who suffer the most and need the help the most. And and that's pretty wonderful. We also give to the Cheetah Conservation Foundation because my daughter discovered that when she was about three. So we have continued to do that as well. Children and cheetahs.
0: I love it. Children and cheetahs. And last but not least, I'm Liz Weston. I'm so money because...
1: <laughs> I have fun with it.
0: You do, and you make it fun for everybody else. Thank you so much, Liz. Thank C- you. Kicking off So Money in Style with grace and great advice. Thank you so much, and wishing you and your family a great new year and have fun in Japan.
1: Thanks so much, Partnership. It was fun
0: that's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Liz, her website is asklizweston.com. Her book again is called Your Credit Score now and it's fifth edition. She's also active on Twitter at Liz Weston. All this info and so much more over at somoneypodcast.com. Click on Ask Farnoosh while you're there and send me your question for the Friday episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in everyone. We've got a fantastic 2016 in the works for you. Hope your day is so money.